The Ziggler Show comes from the legacy of Zig Ziggler and brings together personal and professional growth, business success, and faith. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this episode, you are not a victim of your biology. How's that for a headline? How much do you care about the home you live in? As an example, does it matter a little or a lot if it's clean and safe with nice amenities? Can you expand on it, strengthen it? Well, of course. Well, likewise, every day we wake up to live inside our brains. And like our homes, we have control over the quality and state, the capacity, the ability of our brain. Much more control than outside circumstances. Yet we don't tend to function this way. We tend to live as if our brains are concrete and hardwired. Well, Dr. Caroline Leaf is with us today. She's made it her life's work to debunk and disprove this and show us how our brains can be our servants instead of the other way around. She's a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. She's worked since uh, the early 1980s researching the mind-brain connection, the nature of mental health, and the formation of memory. She was one of the first in her field to study how the brain can change with direct mind input, which we refer to now as neuroplasticity. Dr. Leaf is the best-selling author of Switch on Your Brain. It sold 350,000 copies. Her recent book, Think, Learn, and Succeed, and coming soon, she has a new book, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, which is the title of her top-ranked health and wellness podcast. Well, in this show, we go through what led her into this field, how her faith overlaps with her vocational mission and key aspects of the control we actually have and can employ regarding our brains. You can find out more with Dr. Leaf and all she has to offer at Dr. Leaf, just like it is, L-E-A-F dot com, D-R-Leaf.com. And find her new Switch app you're going to hear us talking about at theswitch.app. So I'll bring Dr. Leaf to you right after sharing some great products and services. Well, Caroline, just in prepping for this, I went and checked out your social media and just scrolling through and the recent posts are dealing with things such as literally, this is what I pulled off. Someone made you feel unloved, our inner critic, conflict in relationships, opinions versus truth, peacemaking versus people pleasing, suppression of emotions and pain, anxiety and depression. So these are just coming off the headlines and wondering if I were to look back a year ago, are these similar posts to what you generally put up there or are they skewed somewhat just in response to where we're at today with a pandemic and tensions, you know, in the culture? I think that's a great question, but that's the kind of content that I put out, um, you know, most of the time we try and educate people to help them to really understand this, that their mind can be managed, that we don't have to be overwhelmed. So whatever you, whatever's going on around you and whatever's happened to you in the past, you do need the skills of understanding what mind is and how to manage mind and the difference between mind and brain and how you can apply that in everyday circumstances. So we've, we give it, you know, we're always growing. So, yeah. but the type of content to answer your question, the type of content is quite similar to the general thread because the narrative that I bring to the table is one of we not mental illness isn't an illness. It shouldn't be called an illness. It's not like cancer and diabetes, which is how it's been pitched to the public for the last 30 odd years, but actually that 
emotions that we go through are very normal human reactions and human responses. So I try and teach that from all the clinical trials and research and experience that I've had as a, a practicing for 25 years as a clinician. And then I try and disseminate that into practical tips. And obviously it's shaped around um, a lot of, you know, there's a little bit of a shaping because there's so much conflict out there yeah. with the terrible issues of racism, which I'm so, you know, I'd be so pleased now is at the forefront so we can actually do something about it. So we're trying to keep, peop- keep people thinking constantly about checking in on, you know, what, what are my implicit biases and am I reaching out and making sure my relationships are, are where they should be and so on. So teaching people basic skills of self-regulation. Have you seen a, in some aspects, we've seen polarization that now we have this acute uh, issue that's come in too. You know, again, we've got the pandemic, we've got racial tensions and we're both, we're amidst those right now. Do you see, talking about mental health, a polarization where as this has come in and made things more acute, issues more acute for people, that we have some people who are rising to that, but that we have a fallout mental health wise, again, uh, a fallout of people where they didn't have the bandwidth or margin for this to begin with. And now we're seeing a, a bigger gap or a divide. Um, you, yes and no. So yes, that there is definitely a change in mental health and a change that um, is, is, is being touted as being a problem. I don't see this change as a problem. I see this change as a very good thing. I think that what's happened in this, besides the fact that COVID is an acute crisis that is something that all of us have learned, had to learn how to manage in the context of our own lives. And that's different for each person. And that's, that's already, that's an acute situation. So that's on top of everything else. Um, but in terms of how that's affected mental health, it's how you look at it. It's the questions you ask and it's the view that you take. So there's one view that makes out uh, makes, it, makes it very fearful. And it's a view that says, oh gosh, mental ill health is on the rise. People who were battling already are battling more. And those that weren't battling are now mentally ill. And so there's a narrative that's being um, espoused out there that worries me, that concerns me because it's saying that we've got more and more mentally ill people people and as soon as you say the word illness there is the immediate link to cancer diabetes etc etc and you know the the hardcore physiological physiological and 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 psychological not psychological body things that can go wrong with your brain and your body but what we're seeing is an increase in people's mind um, issues in terms of the response to the crisis. So it's not an illness. It's a very normal human response to have fear in the midst of something like a pandemic. If you didn't have fear, then, you know, you're suppressing your emotions. So everyone's experiencing fear in a very different way. Everyone's experiencing anxiety in a different way and depression in a different way. But it doesn't make you ill if you're feeling depressed through this COVID crisis. It doesn't make you ill if you're feeling anxious. It doesn't mean that you've got a neuropsychiatric brain disease. You don't have a disease. You're having a normal human response. And that, if you look at it that way, it shifts the perspective and says, okay, well, this is a crisis. I'm having a response. This is a, this is the response I'm having is normal for what, where I'm at in my life. There's no cookie cutter or one size fits all when it comes to mind issues. As unique as we are as humans, as unique, that's as unique as our human response is going to be to our situation. So in one family experiencing the same kind of impact of the crisis, the pandemic, you're going to get 
you're going to get different responses because of the uniqueness. The other yeah. the other element is also the fact that we have gone from a very, um, the modern era is very technologically advanced, as we know, medically advanced, but very, very busy. And we've got ourselves into a life of hurry sickness, I call it, where it's yeah. just busy, busy, busy. And we have, um, there's a massive crisis and has that has been building up um, to, that's created actually a lot of mind issues um, and mental problems, not illnesses, but mental problems. There's a difference between a mental problem and a mental illness. Okay, and I'll define that in a moment. But there's the busyness of life has taken away our ability to take the time to process what's going on. And on top of that busyness, where we've always got to be doing something and we're not taking time to actually process through our stuff, we have this message of the self-help industry and positive psychology that is saying, if you feel any kind of negative emotion, that's bad. So we've got a very strong, so up to COVID, we've mm -hmm. had the message of if you feel any kind of discomfort, any kind of mental discomfort, there's something wrong with you, you need a diagnosis, you need a label, you need medication. And that message has been growing for 30 years and has created terrible problems. And add that to the hurry sickness where people are so busy that they're not taking time to process stuff that exacerbates the problem. So now people are saying, I'm so busy and, I'm, and people are feeling tired and anxious because they're busy and they're not thinking which your brain needs to yeah. do and on top of it we've been told you mustn't feel any negative emotions so it's a very confusing message that the public has received so we moved into the COVID era with already a very negative um, a very negative mental health situation that um, has been getting progressively worse over 30 years and the interventions that have been offered for the last 30 years have not helped they have been very negative they've caused a lot of problems so now we're in an acute crisis and then on top of this in the midst of this acute crisis we have all these terrible uh, racist issues like with Breonna Taylor and George Floyd which have brought something that needs to be addressed to the table and also created for the polarization and then within the pandemic the management of the pandemic by politicians and scientists and people and it's become so political a medical thing has become a political thing so you add all of that to already a bad situation so you have something that looks pretty bleak but in the midst of the bleakness i see tremendous hope because what the COVID situation has created is a is an opportunity for people to slow down. You've been forced to slow down. Quarantine yeah. has forced us to relook at our values. Our we, we the hurry sickness has changed. You yeah. you know it's different. You're at home now. Most people and or things have changed dramatically. Yes, that doesn't to add well to bode well for financial reasons, but it has helped people to start digging deeper and, and face what's going on inside of them. And when we start thinking more deeply, we get in touch with the deepest part of us, and that's very healthy and so it's painful it's very painful facing stuff but there's stuff that be pushed down which is very dangerous and causes brain damage we have to get that stuff out face it and deal with it so it's it's painful but then you get through the pain and you get through the other side so it's kind of a mixed bag of situations but i think we have a formula for great success because we've now retrained started literally over a period of, of almost it's been a few months now and it takes about nine weeks for the brain to actually the mind to change the brain. So our responses now over these nine, this nine-week period have created a, a scenario within which we are now thinking differently. And that's a good thing. We're more open to change. And that's a good thing. As hard as it is, yeah. we actually are now able to move forward. We're not getting stuck like we were pre-COVID. Well, 
coming back, I want everybody to hear that you started off with mental health is, is really in regards to how you look at it. So we're going to come into that. I'm going to back into it though, because I do Perfect. from a business standpoint, we have so many people here and you have a good story. I want to come in and start too from where did you, so you're a cutting edge, you know, brain expert and more, uh, and an avid follower of Jesus. You're known for both of those. What started this trajectory for you? So just before, uh, what, what really started the trajectory was a, a, a desperate um, need for people to recognize that they have the power in their mind to be able to capture thoughts and renew their mind. And I saw in the 80s when I was training and doing my initial research, um, a philosophy growing that said that your brain can't change. So I was trained in the era that was that's it. If you, whatever genetic you, genetics you've been handed, whatever trauma you've gone through, that's it. Whatever brain damage, there's pretty much no hope for you. You, your brain can't change. Therefore, you just have to learn to live with what you've got. And that I found very negative, and so uh, and ch challenged that scenario. And in my first research, I started looking at ways of disproving that and showing that the mind is not the brain. The mind is separate from the brain. And you know, I'll just hold up the brain so people can have a visual image. You know, we look at the brain, and everyone sees brains all over the place. And uh, you know, it's, it's there's so much emphasis on brain. We've actually become very brain centric or very neurocentric in our society, mm -hmm. and everything's about the brain. Now, the brain's amazing. I've studied it for 30 years, and it keeps we keep learning new information, and it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal organ. But if you did this organ can do nothing. So what is the thing that brings life to this organ is when you're alive, there's something about your aliveness that in that uh, brings the, the brain to life and the body to life. And that aliveness is your mind. It's you. It's your mind. So mind is this very big word, this very all-encompassing yeah. word that encompasses a unique ability that humans have to think and to feel and to choose. So those three things go together. So your mind is your ability to think and to feel and to choose. When you think you feel, when you think and feel, you choose. They always work together on a conscious level at around about, you're aware of that around every 10 seconds. And then at a non-conscious level, we can define that as well um, at, at, at about 400 billion actions per second. So the first thing in my journey was to help um, show in, through research that you are not your brain but that you are your mind and your mind works through your brain. So there's a relationship between you and your brain because your brain is part of your body. So it's a relationship where it's separate but inseparable. So you express your mind through your brain. You need to use your brain to build the thoughts in order to be able to talk and, and live life, etc. But the brain doesn't control you. You're not a victim of your biology. You know, you're a victor over and above your biology. And I wanted to show that. So I worked with people initially with brain damage, very severe brain damage from head traumas, car accidents and that kind of thing. And the reason I chose that particular route to go was because there was very little research done in the 80s on that area of um, on, on a traumatic brain injury, closed head injury, the traumas that suffered because they felt it was a waste of time because they thought, well, once your brain's damaged, why bother? So I thought, okay, let me take somewhere, an area that's not researched and let me research that area. And I showed that if you take someone who's been through severe brain damage, and I took really people that had been written off as vegetables, that had were barely talking when I started working with them, were had been reduced from eighteen at eighteen year old level at school down to sort of a, a sort of second third grade level when I started working with them, and I thought, well, if you can teach a person how to use their mind to relearn 
and relearn knowledge and relearn skills and cognitive behaviors and e emotions and all those kind of things. Can you change the right. brain? And that's neuroplasticity. And I show that you can do that with your mind. You can change your brain. And these people went back to academic level, went on to get degrees, et cetera, et cetera. And that I also at the same time was working with people in um, very challenged socioeconomic situations and in very politically challenged situations. So very much like the racist issue at the moment right. in this country, I grew up in South Africa, born in Zimbabwe, grew up in South Africa and did my research, 25 years of research in um, in, in private practice as well with people that could afford to go to a private practice and in schools and, and corporate environments. But I also spent three days a week working in the apartheid era. Apartheid is the, the word formally given for racism. And it was legal in South Africa, right. which was terrible. And that's when change when Mandela came to power. So I was grew up in the apartheid era and worked in the um, schooling and the communities that were suffering from the results of apartheid, helping them with learning, thinking, emotions, and then the transition period with Mandela and then the post-apartheid. So I saw firsthand what racism does to people emotionally, the trauma, society on a societal level, and how, and that's why I'm so passionate and such an activist now for what's happening in this country, because we have to be aware that there are implicit biases. There's, there's stuff deep down in our non-conscious, not unconscious. Unconscious means knocked out or anesthetized. Right. It's not a state of mind. It's basically you knocked out. Non-conscious is an active state that you're in 24-7 where your memories are, and memories are inside thoughts. And those are building right from when you are a baby so you are building all these thoughts and if you've grown up like I did in an apartheid regime without even being aware of it I have implicit biases so in as I became a young adult and became aware and doing this research I started becoming aware of these and sort of working against that system and but I've had to learn to unpack as a white woman what those implicit biases were and so that's some of the activist work that I do now is try and help people to detox their mind so that they can detox society and so on um, so that journey, uh, that, that in that era, that time frame, I worked then with people that were severely traumatized from that kind of situation. Also, right. in, in uh, I also did a lot of work with people um, that were trafficked and trauma victims and of all sorts, early childhood trauma, adult trauma. I did a lot of work teaching people how to learn, how to build skills again, how to get knowledge back. So not just emotional work, but also brain building work. So it gave me a lot of experience and I did my uh, honors, master's, PhD, developed a theory on mind and as I was working in the field I didn't go into a lab and do research in a laboratory I decided to do research in the field so everything that I've done has been with real humans and in the field working with people in my practice so as opposed to saying I did it on mice in a lab or I brought people in and created right. a, a sort of false environment, I've done it in the field. And I did that for the reason to try and understand mind because you can't really understand humanity unless you actually are in humanity. It's unrealistic to try and study humanity in a laboratory. There's, there's a place for that, but a very small place for that. So I chose to do that kind of research. I just finished a set of clinical trials last year. We did two I did two sets with my team of clinical trials looking at this whole mind-brain integration and how when we learn to manage our mind, we can change our brain. But the impact of when we don't manage our mind, when, and when, when we talk about managing our mind, we're talking about bringing thoughts into captivity. We're talking about renewing the mind. We're talking about self-regulation. We're talking about recognizing that I'm a human with normal human reactions. We're talking about the recognition of that 
if I've gone through something, I have a story and that story then impacts how I function, whether it's in business, like that's very much your field, or, uh, and, and um, whether it's in relationships, you, you can't not be in a relationship, you be, in, be, be with people, we're in different types of relationships. So whatever's in you implicitly is going to impact your behaviors, your communication. Right. So my work has been around helping people to kind of stand back and self-regulate their communication. What am I saying? What am I doing? And how, what's the impact of that on the, on others, loved ones, workplace? What's the impact on my work that I'm doing, on the goals that I'm trying to achieve, my my internal passion, my the, the, the who I know I am, am I getting to that point? And then being able to track that back to, well, what thought is this from? And what's my thinking behind the thought? And what's the cause? And how can I manage this process? And how can I go through a process of embracing, processing, and reconceptualizing? You are listening to The Ziegler Show and this episode on growing your brain with Dr. Caroline Leaf. Next, I ask Caroline about her faith. As in the areas of science and medicine, it's not always the most popular perspective to have and talk about. I think you'll be intrigued with what she shares. We'll jump right back in after I share some great products and services with you. You mentioned renewing your mind a couple of times. That's Romans 12 too, and it's renewal. And as we talk so often on the show, that's renewal. Think recharge, rejuvenate. It's not just get a little relief and renewal. And I want to get into your latest book, your statement of it's, you're not a victim of your biology is a huge statement. Uh, and you talked about brain damage and I am just a fan of that. My wife works in that arena as well. And uh, CTE is what we know it as chronic traumatic and traumatic encephalopathy is one of the areas. Is, yes, that yeah. I worked with as well. And that one, if folks, if you want to see just a, a really neat, I think, at least from a layman's term perspective on that, the movie Concussion uh, with yeah. Will Smith. And it was the Brilliant. story mm-hmm. of, yeah, Dr. Bennett Amalu, who I had the, yep. the opportunity to go see a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, also a neat guy of faith. I, I, Absolutely I, amazing work that he's done. Yeah, Amazing work. So uh, what I wanted to bring, though, from you talking about how you got into this, what your initial interest is is you are uh, known for a platform of your faith. So, you know, to take all this from a scientific, from a doctoral, from a medical standpoint, uh, in those arenas, faith is not always the most popular topic. And where did you, where did that come in? And how do you step off now as a Christian and say, okay, and this is where I see my calling to folks is to help them understand you know, again, from a biblical standpoint, from a faith-based standpoint on that renewing your mind that you have, well, again, I, I love that statement. You're not a victim of your biology. How do you uh, reconcile that or overlap that with you are a child of God? Well, it's easy because I don't see any separation between them. So I don't yeah. make the division. The division is is man-made. Um, you know, God is the source of all knowledge. So the way I explain it is I talk about Godness because I think we've tried to make God fit in our little boxes and God's way bigger than what any of us can understand. So first, the first thing I've done is I see God as Godness, huge, infinite. I know everyone does, but people talk about daddy God and bring God down to God will do this. God, How do you know what God will do? You don't know what God will do. You don't understand God in in, in here we live, move, and have our being. So there's just so much complexity, and I just think that the current model of religion has really reduced God down to something very Agreed. small yeah. that we can understand, and that's wrong. So I, that's one part. The other part is that if we believe that um, God is the source of everything, that means that God is the source of all knowledge. And if you look at the word science, science means it comes from the word sclera, which means knowledge. So therefore, science is 
knowledge from God. So there is no separation. So I always say science and spirituality are the same thing, two sides of the same coin. You know, if you go the whole, talk about the whole sort of religious side and scriptures and all that sort of thing, that's kind of the story, whereas science is the how-to. So Mm. knowledge, it can never be separated from spirituality, and it never was. It, it's, that's very much a man-made thing, and it's very religious in in the religious circles and in the very classical scientist circles and, as well. And growing, that, I think, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 the separation which is ridiculous. I mean, there's no if, if you say that science is bad, then you're saying God is bad because who who where, where did the knowledge come from? So science is a way of us understanding how we function as humans and how we fit in this world and how the world works. So my closest understanding of God has come from my study of science, not the study of the Bible. That's just told me the story. The study of science has really helped me understand the greatness of God. Because if you look at things like quantum physics, quantum physics is beyond belief spiritual. 95% of quantum physicists will acknowledge that there is a source that that humans are connected to. Bishop Barclay said it so beautifully 350 years ago that if God was wasn't looking, we wouldn't exist. So whether people believe in God or not, or however you believe, I don't think it's important that the that we shouldn't put rules around God. What's important is that we recognize that God is the source. And that's the philosophy I come from, that that you can't separate the two. So I, I see the magnificence of God in science and studying something like quantum physics, which is a big part of the theory of trying to understand mind. You can't understand mind with simple classical physics. It's just not enough. You have to use um, classical physics is more sort of the neuroscience, how brain works, but classic quantum physics tells us a lot more about the fundamental things. So talking about energy waves and photons and things that Einstein spoke about, that is tell a gravitational fields. When you start looking at those things, you start seeing um, the power of um, humanity. When you start looking at work like Sir Roger Penrose, who has done quantum calculations to show that we immersed in gravitational fields that have the values of love. And that was fascinating for me that you and I'm simplifying some very complex stuff here but that that go, goes to the scripture of in in God we live move and have our being so if we are immersed in love we made of love at our most you can see a physical body but we can go inside and eventually it's cells and from cells it's smaller parts in the cells and eventually down to particles and eventually those particles behave as waves so when you look at us we are waves and we are particles at the same time so you know there, there's this combination this almost almost um, surreal kind of perception that um, and of the infinite infiniteness of God is built into us and that's our fundamental nature and it plays out in the physical that we see but mm-hmm. the physical that we see and we see all those scriptures the physical that we see is just tiny compared to the invisible that we can't see and the invisible that the bible talks about really is the quantum physics concept um or helps us quantum physics really helps us to start seeing that that view so that's where science and spirituality have um really enabled us to be able to you know really like like things like bring all thoughts into captivity you know all thoughts a thought is a very complex thing and if we've got to bring all thoughts into captivity, that's an instruction. But how do you do that? People say that scripture all the time, renew their mind. People mm-hmm. love saying those scriptures, but what are they doing? They're in the same rabbit hole, hamster wheel, not rabbit hole, going round and round in the same ruminations, same complaining, same whatever, and not 
progressing forward and then taking scripture and whacking it on like a band-aid. You know, you can't do that. You can't use God as a genie and scriptures as a magic potion. And I know that sounds almost challenging, but we've got to be super careful that we aren't doing the work of what's inside of us. We've got to look inside of us. And that's very clearly laid out as well with models like David. David messed up big time. And the story of David is a story that shows you that people make bad decisions. They think, feel, and choose and make bad decisions. And those bad decisions will lead to physical ailments. David got sick with that when he, re- you know, he knew he was wrong, you know, and then you've got to, uh, you've got to get, David got depressed. Jesus got depressed. I mean, pe- before people have a fit when I when I freak out about that, think of Jesus in the garden. Depression's not an illness. Jesus experienced depression, anxiety, uh, all of the emotions that we as humans, all the negative emotions, Jesus experienced that in the garden because that's what Jesus did. Jesus modeled for us in the garden that you're not supposed to hide and dr- drug a thought into captivity. You're supposed to get in and face the issue. So the cross has a very strong link to how we're supposed to be managing our minds, where we're supposed to face stuff that crosses the stuff that you're facing. And you've got to get into the space, which is the garden, where you face that stuff. So you've got to embrace the issue. So and you and how do you get there? You've got to listen to the signals. You've got to listen to depression, anxiety, um, OCD, psychotic breaks, all these things that people are told as are, you know, ADD, all these that those are not illnesses. Those are simply adjectives. They are descriptive words. They are responses. They're not it's. They're not an it. They're not a something like cancer is a something. It's an it. We can define it. We can identify it. We can do something um, with advancing techniques. But depression isn't doesn't have that clear defined parameter. The depression is a response. And if two people are depressed, their depression is not from the same cause. You can't say that the oh the brain's damaged. That's why you're depressed. You have clinical depression. That completely is insulting. It's overriding the person's story. And Jesus shows us in the garden that you have your own unique narrative. But you've got to face your narrative. So you need to use the depression and the anxiety and the frustration and the irritation and the worry and all that stuff. And you've got to use that as signals, embrace them, celebrate them, not because of them being negative, but celebrate those emotions because they are telling you something. They're messengers. They are signals. They are telling you that there's something going on. So getting in the garden is an embracing of that process. And then it is a processing through, moving forward. If you notice, processing is a progressive thing forward. Processing means you're moving to an end point. And that end point is going to reflect a change in your life. Whereas if you just drug something, you haven't got rid of it. It's still there in your brain because thoughts are real. And we can maybe quickly discuss that in a moment. But you've got to embrace, you've got to process, and you've got to reconceptualize. You've got to look at it differently. And Jesus shows us that that Jesus sweated blood. So there's a whole connection between the mind and the physiology. For Jesus to sweat blood, that that's a demonstration of the fact that when you, whatever you're going through in your mind, your mind moves through your brain and your body. So your body experiences those emotions as changes in the physiology. And extreme mind reactions is extreme physiological. And that's what would happen, for example, when you sweat blood or when you have low-grade inflammation, or when you start getting cardiovascular issues or autoimmune issues, your, your mind is impacting your body. And yes, those issues, cardiovascular and cancer and things can also come from, um, from food and from uh, medications and from exposure to chemicals. But your mind is the main factor in determining the physiology, the physiological health of the brain and the body. And 
a huge part of health is accepting depression, being able to sit with the anxiety, being able to sit with the uncomfortable. And then it's going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, Jesus went on the cross. Jesus got beaten, went on the cross. So things will get worse before they get better. But in the worseness, in the in the in in that breaking down, in that terrible pain, is the healing. And that's what we see in the brain with neuroscience. We see so clearly that when someone is starting to embrace and work through the depression, we see massive changes in the neuroplasticity of the brain, and then you'll rise again. But you have to go through the pain point to rise again. And that pain point is a reconceptualization. So that's kind of the overarching um, philosophy where I don't believe that depression, et cetera, are illnesses. And and even anyone who said that, it's actually not a scientific fact at all. They're not illnesses. They can cause illnesses because of, because they work through the brain and the body. It's logical. If your brain and body are experiencing this flood of energy that's toxic from a toxic experience and you're not managing that, your brain will suffer. And that's what we saw in my most recent clinical trials. I mean, we saw people's brains um, the, the energy waves, the alpha, delta, theta, alpha, beta, and gamma show us the energy response in the brain over the different structures of the brain. And the brain wants balance. And when we are managing our mind, when we are saying, okay, I'm depressed because of, I feel, I f- not I am, I feel depressed because of, and then you start searching for the issue. And you're still feeling the depression, but we see a shift in the brain in a positive way. We see more balance. But if someone's denying or pushing down the depression or not managing it, we see the energy in the brain dropping and that affecting the sleep and affecting um, damaging, causing actual literal brain damage. But, which, but you can change that. So you can, you know, you never... If you've got brain damage from depression, which we do get, you can heal the damage from managing the depression. And that's the beauty of neuroplasticity, that we're not stuck, that you can, as you direct your neuroplasticity, as you direct your mind, it's directed neuroplasticity. You change your brain, you fix your brain, you need brain surgery without the blood. So that's that's very powerful. This is what we showed in our clinical trials um, just recently, the most recent ones, very interesting results that we had there. Well, when you talk neuroplasticity, I, I want to hit on that because, I mean, you talk in the book and in your overall message so much about you know, just, just growing your brain. And when we talk about that, I know that people have people, including me, you generally have that thought of, oh, it's more knowledge. I'm going to just you know get more knowledge in here, more understanding. Is it fair when we're to your aspect of growing the brain? to say, so this is again, layman's terms here, that if I, my brain's a 10,000 square foot, you know, warehouse with six inch walls, the more information I can fill it full of stuff. I can fill it full of stuff and no more stuff, but growing the brain's ability, as you've talked about and alluded to so much already, is this more to the point of no saying, no, I want my brain to have more capacity, more capability. I want that 10,000 feet to expand to 20,000 feet. I want those six inch walls to be foot thick walls. I, I want a more capable machine because then that's different than just saying just knowledge. It kind of goes to, I know in your book, I think it was uh, think, learn to succeed where you talked about the myth of cognitive training being just memorization, rote memorization. And you said, no, that's not the point. We want, we want a bigger ability. We want uh, the ability to actually, well, you said to, to, to have, uh, to, to learn what to learn, uh, need to know what to learn and how to learn that we want comprehension, deep focus, understanding again, not just rote memory. It's just not how we think of 
culturally when we think of growing exactly. the brain. Exactly. Yeah. Very good. Very good summary that you that you've and you've highlight, highlighted something very critical. Okay. So essentially neuroplasticity, neuro means brain, plastic means to change. Our brain is a changing organ. And that's the work that I was doing back in the 80s. And it was only, uh, there was a few of us around. Most people didn't accept it at that stage. By the mid 90s, once we had fMRI technology, we could see inside the brain and we saw the brain changing. So then neuroplasticity became more accepted. Um, so basically neuroplasticity means that your brain's always changing. It's never the same. From moment to moment, your brain is changing. During the, You wake up in the morning, you use your mind. Remember, mind is not brain. Mind is thinking, feeding, choosing. And you start responding to the emails, the texts, the things right. of the day, your conversations. So your brain is, and that response is your mind, thinking, feeling, choosing. And as it does that, it causes a, 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 a electrical, chemical, and genetic change in the brain. So whatever your response is becomes a physical structural change in the brain. And that change looks like a tree. So I've got a little plant here, which is an analogy I always use for explaining this, because what you are building all day long with neuroplasticity, because your brain's always changing are little trees. So every experience is processed through your thinking, feeling, and choosing into a tree in your brain. So you're changing the structure of your brain all the time, and that's basically what neuroplasticity is. But there's a paradox attached to neuroplasticity, and that paradox is that you can also build a toxic tree. So I use this analogy of a wiry tree that I I have dragged around the world with, with me. It's from South Africa, but it represents a toxic tree. So if you wake up and you're in a foul mood or you get a really bad email or a text or you just like, that's a negative for the day, etc. You're still building that in your brain. You're still thinking, feeling, and choosing. You're still right. responding. As a human, you cannot not respond. You wake up, you are responding to life. And that response is changing your brain. And that's what neuroplasticity is. So my point is that you can drive that neuroplasticity. You can direct that neuroplasticity by how you run your day. And, and my most recent book that I have just finished, it's actually on pre-order. It's called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Is literally that cleaning up the mental mess, the process, it's my most updated work in this area on based on my most recent clinical trials. But essentially, from the time you open your eyes, you're driving neuroplasticity. So the neuroplasticity paradox is that you can build through the choice of how you manage your mind, either toxicity or health into your brain. And just to use the healthy tree, this tree is what your thoughts look like in your brain. So you think, feel, choose, and you build. The result of thinking, feeling, and choosing is is, is a building process. It's a structural change. You're using mind to create matter. And the matter you create is a tree-looking structure in the brain. And these little branches are called dendrites. And this tree is a thought. And if you think of a a plant or a tree, they've got lots of branches. So this thought is that is so the thought is the whole tree. But what's what are the branches? They're the memories. So thoughts contain memories. So all the branches on here are memories related to this particular concept. So it could be um, some, it could be a COVID-19 tree and all the information about COVID-19 and the little leaves are are all the emotions related to COVID-19. So it's all the news and what you've experienced and how you're feeling. I mean, uh, your, your experiences and then the leaves are the emotions. So every thought is made up of branches and those branches are memories. So all these things are memories. Memory is not something else. It's inside the thought. So the thought's the big 
tree and the branches are the memories, the information, and the leaves are the emotions of the information. And these are can always be changed, and they keep growing. And every every new ne- next news broadcast that you read is, and actually it should be, if we're talking about COVID-19, probably we should put this one up, the toxic one, because it's like negative information. But we've got to learn, you know, to manage that so we can reconceptualize it by embracing this, what it's doing to us and processing, and then we can reconceptualize. So what I did in my most recent clinical trials was for 38 years, I've been in this field and I've been developing, trying to understand how we build thoughts. So how we do this think, feel, choose and build. And at nighttime, you're still thinking, feeling and choosing, but it's a sorting process. So during the day, you think, feel, choose and you grow thoughts. At nighttime, you think, feel and choose to sort out the thoughts that you've built. So it's a sorting process. It's a kind of a housekeeping process. And that's kind of what dreams are. It's sorting out and getting rid of toxicity and it's a sort of housekeeping function. So I have studied, and this is very complex, but I've developed theories of mind and studied how, what is this process and how do we do it? So when I worked with my patients, the science is always fascinating, but I had to simplify the science into a very, into techniques. So I developed techniques that um, I have been um, testing since 30 years ago, based on my research 38 years ago and all my subsequent trials and work and constantly advancing. So the clinical trial I did last year is the most recent updated version. And we actually put it into an app because we used app technology because the advances in technology. So it's an app called Switch. So I'm just going to hold this up because this is what we used because people may, might want to know what did we do. So when we talk about mind management, mind management is using your mind to manage your mind, to manage your brain and hence your body. And that's what I've studied for all these years and put into techniques. And now I put that into an app that is all the different version techniques of how to do this are inside this app. Okay, so the subjects in just very briefly, we had sub, we did a very intensive double blind gold standard random control fancy scientific study yeah. to see that if you give someone mind management, will it change how they function and will it change the brain? Will the neuroplasticity go in the right direction and will that make them healthier and will they feel better about their life? Will they manage their, be able to manage their depression and their acute traumas and all that kind of stuff? And that's the one group. And that's the experimental group. The control group was we made them, we did all the testing of the mind and psychology and narrative and brain and blood and all that stuff and DNA, but we didn't give them any mind management. And would that make them worse? We wanted to see, or would they stay the same or what, what would happen? And so what we found that was over, and, and I always also, the other thing that I've researched, which I've confirmed in this particular study is that when we build a thought, it takes 21 days to build it into something that's got a long-term status, like a long-term memory, long-term memories in here. So a long-term thought, but to make this thought accessible, that it changes your behavior, that you can use it and draw on it, takes another 42 days. So the body and brain and mind work in cycles of 21 days for healing. And so if you've got a blister, it takes about three weeks to heal a blister. If you've got major, a major virus in your body, it can, and it does damage, it can, it'll take maybe four cycles of three weeks. So it's always in these little clusters of three weeks that we heal. In the mind, we see to make something a habit, it takes 63 days. So it takes three cycles of 21 days. So 21 days to build the basic structure and then another, tw- another 42 to stabilize. So this study went over that time period, that nine-week time period. And we wanted to see the changes that happened at the different time points. So in a nutshell, what happened was that we, in the the experimental group, and I'll just show you one because I don't want to overwhelm the listeners with the science, but what you're seeing up here is a brain. These are 
called brain maps. Right. And they over this, and I know it's not, it's probably a mirror image. So what this is, this is day one, this is day 21, and this is day 63. So that's it. Day one, three weeks later, nine weeks later. And uh, the nose is at the top and the ears are at the side. So you're kind of looking down on the brain. And we're looking at all the energy in the brain over the different structures of the brain and how the brain is responding to the person thinking. So day one, this person is in the experimental group. So they got the, 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 they got the switch app, it's called Switch. They got the, the, the technique, the five-step process. Um, but they came in and they were tested to all the different brain testing, mind testing, narrative testing, a whole lot of different testing. And they were the blue brain shows that they were very depressed. Their story was these people were very depressed, um, very ang- not sleeping at all well, like just wanted to give up on life. Relationship suffering, couldn't get back to work. Everything was just like they were just flatlining. They had done everything. They were absolutely desperate. By day 21, you see a lot of gray. The blue is gone. You just see gray and green. Gray is considered balance, a balanced brain. This is a low energy brain. You don't want that. You don't want a blue brain. This is a brain that's literally non-functional. And that person was literally non-functional. By doing the mind management, which is capturing the thoughts and renewing the mind, that's what mind management is. It's capturing the thoughts, renewing the mind in a scientific way, five-step way, which is what's in that app. I didn't give them therapy. No one gave them therapy. They had an app. The app was installed on their phone, the Switch app, installed on their phone, and they went back, and every day they did the app. They did the 30 minutes a day. That's what they spent. And we tested them at different time points. When they came back at day 21, three weeks later, the depression had lifted. They were sleeping. Their sleeping had improved 25%. There's a lot of things that this means here, but basically the depression had lifted, which is phenomenal because that does not happen as quickly. Where they felt, so it doesn't mean that they, it was 81% reduction in depression. They felt 81% more able to deal with their depression. So it didn't mean that they're not going to ever be depressed because depression is not a bad thing. We always think depression is a bad thing. Any negative emotion, they're not bad things at all. They're telling us a story and that's the difference thing here so this person learned okay i'm still going to have bouts of depression because this person had tremendous early childhood trauma and had never dealt with it and this person was at in the millennial and their cellular health their dna their biological age was 20 years older than the actual age so their body health was at a 55 year old versus and they were 32 year old so that's how there at that point by the Nine weeks later, using mind management, they had got even better and it was sustained. They were improving at six months, improving even more where they now could talk about they had a way of managing the traumas. They were bringing them up. They were embracing, processing, they're getting in the garden and doing that work. And we saw massive changes, for example, in their cortisol. This person had very, very high levels of cortisol. I'm just going to mention two that everyone's familiar with. Cortisol is very important, but too high, it's very dangerous, can cause all kinds of issues. Um, that, that when you, when cortisol needs to be at a certain level for, for you to be healthy. Um, also, if you constantly, like a blue brain like this, this person's cortisol level was through the roof, very dangerous, yeah. affecting heart, cardiovascular, etc. They also had, we also look at low-grade inflammation across the body. Wherever you have constant inflammation in your body, you're, you're vulnerable to disease. And this person had very high homocysteine levels, which tells us about the body's low-grade inflammation, dangerously high homocysteine levels. If that person at this state with that level of depression and just those two factors alone put them at massive risk for cardiovascular event, like a heart attack, a stroke, potential dementia. Already their biological age was 
25 years older than their body. They, they, I mean, their body was 25 yeah. years older than their age. So they were on a pathway to a very, very sick um, sad, shortened, potentially shortened life. And this has been completely turned around and reversed. By the time they got to day 63, their homocysteine levels, for example, were normalized. Their cortisol levels were normalized and a lot of other measures. Another very exciting thing is we also looked at DNA. And DNA, every cell of your body contains DNA and every DNA in every cell of your body, and you have 73 to 100 trillion cells in your brain and body. Yeah. Every single one of those has your entire genome. In other words, everything about you is in every cell of your body. So you store all your memories that are in your head are also in every cell of your body. So they're in your head in the forms of structure, but they're also in the DNA. There's an imprint in your, it's very hard to get your head around it, but we store memory in our brain, in our mind, and also in our cells. So what we're seeing now in is a very strong link between um, the, the DNA and, and unmanaged minds. So when we don't capture thoughts and we don't renew our mind and we don't um, deal with our stuff and get in the garden and embrace and process and reconceptualize the, that model that Jesus gave us, and I'm not talking about suppressing, I'm not saying whacking on a scripture, I'm, say, I'm talking about get in and do the dirty, the hard work of the pain. When you when you don't do that, your telomeres will shorten. So what's a telomere? If we go inside the DNA, think of Jurassic Park, think of a strand of DNA, that like little ladder. And then what you do is you get the chromosomes. The chromosomes look like little X's. I'm sure people know what a chromosome is. If I put my yep. fingers like this and where my fingernails are, so that's a chromosome. So the DNA will unwind into chromosomes. Chromosomes then have got little socks or where my nails are. They've got these little things called telomeres. And I know this is heavy going, but a telomere is very important in terms of cell health. It's a, every second you make 810,000 new cells, more or less. Every second you're making 810,000 new cells. Yeah. The quality of those cells is dependent on what's going on in your mind. What are you thinking, feeling, and choosing? So if I'm thinking this, I'm affecting the quality of those 810,000 cells every second. And if I keep doing that, I'm going to feel awful like this woman did feel. I'm going to, but, but if I can capture my thought and manage that and recognize where the depression comes from, that I'm not ill, I don't need to suppress it. I need to find out what this thought is, what the cause is, and reconceptualize it into a healthy thought. But I remember my story, as Paul said, once I was like that, but now I'm like this. That's reconceptualization. Yeah. You don't forget your story, but you reconceptualize it. That's what this, these, this, these subjects were doing. This is what my techniques that I've done for all these years do, help you to find the causes and then manage them. And then when, so what we saw happening with the little telomeres is that every time you make new cells, what normally happens is the little telomeres are very involved in helping to replicate the cell, but they then get shorter and then they need some food called an enzyme called telomerase to grow them again. And that enzyme you get when you sleep deeply. And there's a whole lot of going on. If we don't get our thoughts under control, we don't sleep enough, we don't get enough of the enzyme, we're not thinking correctly, we're chaotic in our mind, our mind's a mental mess. So the tele these little fingernails, they don't stay long and strong. They get shorter and shorter. Think of a little shoelace. Wow. A shoelace, when you put when the little plastic at the end of the shoelace, is easy to weave through your tennis shoes or your sneakers. But if the, t the plastic wears off, it's all frayed. It's, have you tried weaving a frayed thing? That's kind yeah. of what the telomeres are. If they wear off, 
it signals cell, um, a cellular ill health. It means your body is sick and vulnerable. And what we found was this: this is what hurt this particular person's telomeres were very um, short and damaged. But by the end of the study, they were they were significantly healed. The people that were in the the control group, they didn't get mind management. Their brains got worse and worse and worse. Their mind, they just got worse because we all the testing made them aware of their issues, but they didn't have a way of managing it. So they they got worse and worse. Their brain got more and more, um, what we call a red brain, where there was huge firing, like a waterfall in their brain, and not even a waterfall, a tsunami. And that just was affecting their body. Their cortisol levels went up. Their homocysteine levels went up. Their telomeres significantly shortened in a very short period of time. So what I'm saying here is that we cannot separate the mind and the body. They're integrated. They're separate but inseparable. So they're two different things, but they work together. They will impact each other. So if we're feeding our body wrong, that feeds back into the mind. If you're not exercising, it feeds back. All these things work together hand in hand, but mind drives it all. So one has to get mind under control. So whether you're a businessman, father, mother, whatever you are, you have to get your mind under control in order to control the physiological impact. The good news is you can reverse a lot of this stuff by just managing your mind within a short three-week period, which is amazing. Well, you let's end then on, and this is a primary point that you make. Actually, it's in your last book, Think, Learn, and Succeed. Think, Learn, Succeed. Yeah, where you talk about, we all talk about self-care. We talk about it a lot here on the show, but you talk specifically about mental self-care. So in the short time we've got here, uh, give us a couple highlights that you would prescribe, if you would, for okay. mental self-care. Well, one of the major things that I would prescribe seriously is to get yourself into this routine of spending seven to 15 minutes a day in the morning, if you can, detoxing your brain. You need to find these. It's a lifestyle. It's not a one-off thing. We've all got stuff from the past. We've all suffered various different levels, small traumas, big traumas. And we're also dealing with acute traumas like COVID. It's, it's, not a, it's, it's, it's only a few weeks old, but it's changed our lives. Um, the racist issue, these long-term yeah. people, are, people of color, they've got long-term intergenerational issues that they've got to deal with that are affecting them. We've got implicit trauma, implicit biases, et cetera, et cetera. So we've all got stuff we need to work on. So this, the, if you keep these, like if you have an implicit bias or you have a trauma and you keep it, it's causing brain damage and increasing vulnerability like the telomere shortening, your right. DNA, the homocysteine, all those things, you are making those, you know, messing with your hormones and so on and your immune system and everything. So what the, the main thing that I would recommend people is to get into a serious bout of mind management. And as I said, my new book is on pre-order now called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. They can get it there. Also, Think, Think Learn, Succeed, that book that you mentioned, there is a lot in, there's a lot of techniques in there to help them start a people build their brain so the five steps for building your brain which is essential which is part of neuroplasticity where you grow your brain in a deep way the switch on your brain i think you're familiar with this book that's also got a lot of information that we've been talking yeah. about and then the switch app so my my first thing would be get into a program of of detoxing and building so this this will detox your brain and find the traumas and find the acute things and fix up the, the bad habits toxic habits we've all got toxic habits is also brain damaging this book will help you build your brain and you said earlier on one of the questions you asked me was we need to just go beyond just surface thinking you can't just memorize stuff you've yeah. got to understand stuff deep understanding goes to the point i made very earlier on that in a hurry sickness environment that we live in people don't think deeply enough so the next major thing 
that I would recommend people do is brain build to learn how to think, to, to grow your brain in a healthy way, grow connections in a healthy way. And that means learning new information, not just memorizing, yeah. memorizing. There's all kinds of memorizing tricks that, that are fine for the, in the temporary state, but you need deep understanding. We are deeply intellectual, brilliant human beings and our brain feeds on understanding. So instead of just glancing through a whole lot of articles, take one and study it in a way that you could teach it. And that's brain building. And that I teach in here. And that's essential for uh, mental health. It, people don't speak about it enough. It's a huge part. We're adding a whole component to the app. This whole build, brain building is going to go into the app as well. In terms of um, brain building builds resilience. It builds strength. If you don't brain build, if you don't deep think every day, you actually build toxic waste in your brain. And it's like if you don't clean your teeth every day eventually your teeth are going to fall out. That's what we're doing. We're damaging our brain by not learning. So you, there's the emotional, just in some, you want to work on the emotional stuff and you limit that to the mornings to or whenever, a block in the day, but seven to 30 minutes max to work on the hard stuff, toxic habits, toxic traumas, acute traumas, the, the, the hard stuff. And then you should spend an hour or two a day brain building. And you might think, where have I got the time? Well, if you're at school, you're learning. So therefore you can use that to learn. Yeah. If you're at business, you should be advancing yourself always in your business so you can learn. You can do it in your Bible study. You can go and challenge yourself. So it's, it's, instead of just reading an article in the paper, I mean, in the on the news, just you know, scrolling through your phone, select an article and that's a really challenging one, maybe on the COVID-19 bioscientist and go and study that. Use these five steps and study that. That's an hour of your day. You know, so that, but that brain building is essential to keep your brain clean. It's a form of housekeeping. It's a form of resilience building. And it's one of the best techniques for mental health. With all my patients, the first thing I would do was brain building. First, first thing would be identity, but we haven't got time to talk about that. Second thing is brain building. And the third thing is detoxing. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot more, but that's, that's enough to start with. Yeah. So cleaning up the mental mess. So that's the upcoming book. And I know that's your yes. podcast, which is doing really yes. well, folks. You can find that in the uh, health and health and wellness, I think, category of iTunes. Yes, and health Russia. and wellness and mental health. Yeah. Okay. And the cleaning up the mental mess is on pre-order at the moment. It's only released next March, but then the app is available on iTunes and Google. Okay. Uh, iTunes store and Google. It's called Switch. Okay. Sw switching your switching your brain. So, Caroline, thank you. Around. Thanks for taking the time, for sharing so much, for sharing your heart, and just for being with us again. And uh, I am a huge fan of your work and of this process. How can we take in more and do anything with it if we're not growing our brain? So thanks so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for your great questions. I enjoyed them. Absolutely. Friends, I hope this gave you inspiration and confidence in literally growing and changing your brain. As Dr. Leaf said, and I titled this show with, we do not need to be victims of our biology. Uh, for people like the Ziegler audience, this is nothing but empowering and significantly good news. Again, you can connect with Dr. Leaf and all she has to offer at drleaf.com and find her Switch app that we talked about at theswitch.app. Coming up in episode 806, what makes marketers credible? Have you ever gotten irked by a personality who just seems to want to sell to you and promote themselves and doesn't come off as having your best interest truly at heart? It's a sore spot for so many of us, and we hit it on the head in this show. Uh, for many of you who are seeking to lead and influence others, and many of you who already are, you're going to want to tune in and see how you can better serve and care for your audience and how to and not to market and position yourself. So I start us off with a short clip from 
Zig Ziglar, where he references a story he used in his all-time best-selling book, See You at the Top. And it was a story about a guy who had lost a bunch of weight. And in this story, Zig talks about, here he is promoting this book, and he was really overweight. And he talks about what he did about that and his own credibility. So from that, I asked the Ziglar audience, with all the personalities, authors, speakers, podcasters, et cetera, marketing to you, what hurts their credibility most? So we got a barrage of responses and a week later, they're still coming in. People get really frustrated and disappointed as we all look for people to lead and guide us, but we are so sensitive when we feel taken advantage of, not cared for well. So I think you'll resonate with many of the responses. And again, if you're seeking to lead, influence, and market to others, this is your filter to gain and retain credibility and have the success you want. Till then, folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.